good news too, and, and the good news is that uh, the good news is that um, uh, um, that tomorrow we're hoping that drywall will be starting to be put up in the new building. And boy, if we can, and, and we're almost absolutely, we're probably ninety-five percent finished with all the insulation, so uh, drywall will start tomorrow.
said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I believe that right now heaven is a busy place. And one of the reasons it's busy is because Jesus is preparing a place for us. When we were over in Israel years ago, you would see all these houses with rooms built onto them. When a kid uh, got ready to get married in a family, he didn't move out. They just added another room onto the house, and he moved in. How would you like that? Talking about no entrance nest over there, some zone. But they would move in. And and, and, and finally, and it was, it, you know, some people say, well, we don't know when Jesus is coming. Well, you know, I really believe that Jesus does know, but the reason he doesn't touch that is because it's up to the Father to tell us when he's coming back. Because over in Israel, what happens is when they would build a room on the house, it was called the bridal chamber. And the bridal chamber had to be a certain way, and the only person that could approve the bridal chamber was the Father. So it's not the point that Jesus doesn't know. It's the point that he's waiting for the Father to look over him and say to him, the bridal chamber is ready, and he's saying to him, now go get your bride. That's what we're waiting on right now. And I believe very soon the Lord is going to look over and look at our Lord and say, go get your church, go get your bride. Now there's another verse of Scripture that's found over in 1 Corinthians 2.9. And listen to what this says. It says, it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered in the heart of man what God has in store for those that love Him. So no matter how much that we can talk about heaven and we try to give you a picture, we can't even come close to it. Because God said, I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered in the heart of man what God has in store for those that love Him. He can't wait for you to see what He's got in store for you. Have you ever sat and watched the sun, sunset? Have you ever watched and, uh, have you ever watched and, 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 and saw that... Uh, some of the beauty that's out there. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Can you imagine how God's going to do that as He's prepared this place for us? And then finally, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 1 through 3, listen to what this. And now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and he will be their God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for every person that's here. Lord, I pray today that uh, you would help my feeble words and my feeble thoughts really speak the hearts and souls that we would get a glimpse of what you're preparing for us right now. So I pray simply that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, for you're our strength and you're our redemption and you're our everything, Father. And Lord, we've said this so many times, the Lord, but I really believe this. We can't do this without you. We say the words, the same words that Moses said when he said, if you don't go with us, you know what it is. Lord, that's who it is. Be with us today. I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. There is a story that every one of us knows. It's the story of Cinderella. We've all, we've everybody in here has heard the story of Cinderella. Cinderella lived in a very painful set of circumstances. She lived with an abusive stepmother, stepsisters that didn't like her, and in fact they hated her. She lived.
lived in an environment of neglect and rejection and heartache and, he- and headache. Then one day, supernaturally, things changed. Mice became horses. She wound up in a chariot with a gown at a ball where she fell in love with a handsome prince. He fell in love with her. Her life was radically changed and different because she met the son of the king of princes. But the real world where she lived had to go back to the same stepmother and the same abusive stepsisters, the same hard work and the same pain and rejection that she'd always been, even though she'd met the prince. Because she'd been separated physically from the prince, just as you and I have been separated physically from Jesus. But then the prince never forgot Cinderella, and he went all over the nation to find a foot that would fit into the glass slipper. Now, I'm sure her stepsister, who had size 13, wanted to put their big fat foot into those, but they could not do it because there's a certain way you have to come through the door. And when he came, he found Cinderella. He put the slipper on her foot, and the end of the story is simply this, that they lived happily ever after. You see, the son of the king came. Oh, are you missing this? The son of the king came to get her and, and came for her and raptured her from her present location to where he lived. And forever and ever there was nothing but happiness. And one day, for all of those who belong to Jesus Christ, the son of the king Jesus Christ is going to come and locate you. He's going to rapture you or receive you through death where he will receive you and you'll end up of the you end up the story is you're going to live happily ever after. He's going to take you to his home and the home he's going to take you to is called heaven. That's where he's going to take you to. There are many ideas about heaven. And the Bible gives us teachings of heaven. Someone has said, if God had told us everything about heaven, we wouldn't get anything accomplished down here on earth. But let me give you today just a little bit of heaven, what it really means. The only man that was allowed to go to heaven and speak about it was the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verse 2 and 4. Here's what he says. Is that Paul says, I knew a man. Well, he, he talked about himself. I knew a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up in the third heaven. Now, here's the whole thing. Paul, when he got converted, when he got knocked off his horse and blinded on the road to Damascus, God didn't, after he was converted, God didn't immediately take him and say, okay, you need to go into the ministry and all this. And some of us that really are wanting God to use us and use us in some type of ministry sometime, we've got to understand that God will prepare you for that. That's why he put Moses on the backside of a mountain for 40 years. That's why he took Paul, the Apostle Paul, and sent him over to a place called Arabia for four, three years before he asked him to do anything for the kingdom of God. Could it possibly be that what you think maybe God is not using you or not wanting you to use you in some way, that it's because He is preparing you to be used by Him? He is preparing you. So, the only man that was allowed to do this was Paul. And so he says to us, he says, I knew a man 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, for such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Now, here's the thing, the third heaven. What's the three heavens? The Bible says that. It tells us that the first heaven is what? Is our atmosphere. The 
celestial the celestial being. It's, it, it's the moon, the stars, the sun, those things. That's the celestial heaven. And then he tells us the third heaven. Well, where's the third heaven? He said, Jesus said, John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a place. Lexington, Kentucky is a place. Louisville, Kentucky is a place. Cincinnati, Ohio is a place. Jesus has gone to a place. You know, the world wants to paint us all kinds of pictures. That's not true. Jesus said it was a place. And so the third place is where? It's where our Father is. So he goes on to say, I, 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 he said, I don't know, but he said, I was caught up into that third heaven to the place of God, and I know such a man, whether in the body, uh, out of the body, I do not know. God knows. But listen to what he says in verse 4. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Here's what he's saying to us. He's, saying, he's telling us about his journey that he, within his Greek language, could not even talk about it. It was so precious to him. He could not describe it in the Greek language. He could not do that. That he didn't know how to explain it. And so he said, I was caught up. Verse 4, it says, I was caught up into paradise. But he said, I can't even explain what I saw. I can't explain. I can't describe what God let me see. But this is why that many times, but what, what he did see was so magnificent that there's so many times that you read in Scripture that Paul says, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But then he goes on to say, it's more needful, I say, for you. But he says, but it's far better that I depart. What's he saying? He said, I want to go to heaven. See, it's better for me that I just leave this world and get out of here. All the worries and all the cares and all that things that will fall off. And I, you know, I try to picture in my mind what that's going to be like. To get up every morning and feel good. Not to worry about the coronavirus. Not going to worry about what, uh, what Uncle Joe's going to do in the White House. What he's going to get us in more trouble about. I'm not to worry about all those. We don't. No worries. No worries whatsoever. To get up every morning and to just want to live life. In fact, never get tired. Never get tired. You know, it's far better, he said, that I depart to be with the Lord. But when you grab, here's the thing. Why do you want, why do you want us to, to hear this? Because when you grab the concept of heaven, your final home, when you grab it where you and I will live happily ever after, it becomes so real to you that everything in your life here on this earth begins to change. Because you begin to see that you're on your way to heaven. You're on your way to heaven, and all this stuff here is just something that God is preparing. He, you know, why is He leading you? He's preparing you for that time. I love I love first Philippians. I'm just sharing that with someone. Uh, with Donna, I think, this, this morning. Because what First Philippians 1.7 says, it says, He who has begun a good work in you will continue it, until the day of Jesus Christ. So all the things that are happening in your life now, God's using to get you ready to what? To go to heaven. He's getting you ready to go live in a wonderful atmosphere, a wonderful world. But when you grab that concept, everything in your life changes. Movies try to encourage us about encourage us about heaven. Every I did a funeral yesterday. Every funeral, people want to hope that their loved ones are there. Songs, I know a place. Amen. I, I guarantee you we could, we could talk about how many songs there is about heaven. A place where nobody is crying. So 
Let's do this this morning. Let's talk about heaven. Let's not talk about all the stuff that's out there. Let's just talk about heaven. So the first thing we need to know that Jesus makes it clear that heaven is a personal place. It's a personal place. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If heaven is not real, then Jesus is a lie. If heaven is not real, Jesus is a liar. And not only is Jesus a liar, but his daddy's a liar too. If heaven is not real, to deny heaven is to call Jesus a liar. And to challenge his integrity. He doesn't tell us we're going to go up in the clouds and sit on a cloud and play a harp. That would be the most boring thing I ever thought I could ever do. You know? I'm telling you, it's going to be unbelievable the things that we're going to be able to do at that time. No, Jesus said, you believe in God, you believe also in me. He said, I'm not just talking, I'm telling you the reality of where you're going to go to. Heaven is that place. So he said it's a reality. So what little you read in the Bible about heaven, that little that is given is tied to Christ's integrity. So when we talk about heaven, we're talking literally about the integrity of Jesus. So if you believe there is a God up there, then you better believe what I'm saying about your future. That's what he's saying. It's a personal place. Here's the second thing. second place is this, that God is going to equip you for this new environment. You're not ready to go yet. What do you mean I'm not ready to go yet? You see, you and I in our present state of the flesh cannot enter heaven. You'd be like somebody going up into space and trying to go outside a capsule or whatever without oxygen or or space suit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, says this flesh and this blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It also says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 53, in a moment, in a twinkling of eye, at the last trump, where the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, he's telling you this, that when we're changed, what are we going to do? This corruptible must put on incorruption. What does that mean? You cannot be corrupted anymore. I wonder how many people have thought about this. Well, what happened before because Satan got one-third of the angels to go with him? What if that happens again? That will never happen again. Why will it never happen again? Because this corruptible must do what? Put on incorruption. It's not going to happen anymore. But here's the other thing. This mortal must put on immortality. What does that mean? That means down here we're continually talking about dying. We're talking, we're, you know, the moment that you're born, you're really not born into life. You're really born into death. Because from the moment that you're born, you're going to be dying. Look at that. I'm going to ask you to do this. Look at the person next to you. Look at them next to you, okay? Are they an old person? Now, see, here's the point. You don't know when you're going to die. All these people running, you know, they're running, eating right, taking the right food, drinking all the water they can, you know, pumping iron, doing all this kind of stuff. They're doing all this kind of stuff. They say, boy, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm going to live forever. I'm step off the curb and get run over by a bus. Because God knows the exact time that you're going to die. In fact, you got an appointment with death. I thought this was going to be uplifting. It is. Because when I die, guess what happens? I go to heaven. Amen? That's what it means. I go to heaven. Now, 
Now, when I say old, let me tell you something. If you're sitting here and you may be you may be 50 or 60 years old, but if you don't die until you're 99, you're going to live a long life. Maybe somebody's sitting here and they're in their 20s, but they're going to die when they're about 27 or 28. They're older than you are. When it comes down to it, they say, I don't like it. Get off that subject, man, please. So, so the whole point of what I'm saying is, is, is I'm simply saying that God's got an appointment for us to be ready to go there. So, you know, in, in our present state in the flesh, we cannot enter heaven. But this, when we, this mortal that gets sick and dies and, and, and all this stuff, listen, he, when we, the resurrection, we put on immortality. We're going to live forever. You ever really sit down and really look at what chapter 11 of, of John says when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection? See, we're just like Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, they said, Lord, if you'd have been here, our, bro- our, 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 our brother wouldn't have died. How many of we have asked, Lord, where were you when all this happened? He said, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Mary said it, and Martha said it too. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. Well, Martha looks up to him, or Mary looks up to him and says this. Well, we know we know all about that, Lord. We know that you know, the resurrection is no secret. He said, no, you're missing. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And he that believeth in me, though he may die, yet shall he live again. That's God's promise to you. Yet, if you die, you shall live again. Amen? And he then he asked the question, do you really believe that? Do you really do we really believe we're going to live again? Man, how what a great thing that's going to be when we die to go home to be with the Lord. And when I die, what's the first person? Who's the first person I'm going to see? I'm going to see Jesus. You know why? Because the Bible says in the, in the book of Corinthians, to be absent in this body is to be what? To be present with the Lord. The moment I die, I'm going to go to be home, go to be with my Lord and my Savior Jesus. Then what happens after that? Well, the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews says that it says that simply that there's this great cloud of witnesses waiting for us on the other side. Who's that? That's my mama. That's my daddy. That's my grandparents. I wait. Can you imagine what kind of reunion that's going to be? I mean, can you imagine the, the joy and the excitement you're going to feel inside when you look and there stands those people that you've lost before and they're standing in front of you and, man, and they're healthy and whole? Man, what a day that's going to be. When my Jesus, I shall see, when He takes me by the hand and leads me where? To the promised land. Man, what a day that will be. So, you know, have you ever, have you ever been to a place so, so you and I can't go to heaven like we are? Who you and I are right now in our bodies is inconsistent with the environment of heaven. Have you ever been to a place that you felt you didn't belong? Craig and I went to visit a lady that had been put in prison over in Virginia one time. And we, we didn't know where we were trying to find GPS. So we started in this old country store. Uh, and there's all these guys sitting on the floor. And we asked them where we were, where we were going to go. And they told us, and we told them where we were going in Virginia. So we were going to this big federal prison. It was the same prison that uh, Martha Stewart was in. Actually, when she got out of prison, she built them a wing there. But anyway, that's where Cricket had to have her prison shoes. Because we had to get out of line, go, go down to the dollar store, buy her some shoes that we could get into prison. So that day. Uh, but anyway, so we're down there. And so these guys on this porch told us, now when y'all get down there, y'all need to go up to that big hotel up there and stay the night. We said, okay, we'll do it. So we go, we go down. And all of a sudden, here's a train station where trains come, a passenger train. All of a sudden, we get on this, we pull on this driveway, and here's a guard guard box there, and we stuck this guy, and we said, uh, we said simply to him, we said, you know, uh, we're, we're here for reservation. Go up there. He said, yeah, just go on up there. We go around this driveway. We come
come around this curve, and here is this humongous hotel with this guy standing out in front with a red suit on and everything else. You had to have a coat before you could go eat there. Rooms were, I forget, four or $500 there. We knew right then and there we were in the wrong place. We did a U-turn real quick and come out of there real quick and went and found a, a, a Motel 6 or whatever we were staying in that night. They left the light on for us there. But we, that's where we went. We went to Motel 6 to stay in it because we were out of place. Well, let me tell you something. We would be out of place if we went this way. The way you dress, the way you look, people saying, well, what are you here for? See, Jesus said seven times in the Bible, He talks about He, I am, I am. And one of those places, I am the door. He says this over in John chapter 10 and verse 1 through 5. And listen to what He says there. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What did Jesus mean by this? He came by the doorway. What does it mean? Everybody else came some other way. Jesus fulfilled every single solitary prophecy that said, here's what the Messiah will be like when He comes. He fulfilled He didn't come climb over the fence. He came by the door. That's what He was saying. And, and to Him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear His voice and He calls His own sheep by name and He leads them out. And so Jesus did this. Now the Bible also tells us in Matthew 22 there's a, there is a man there that the king saw a man who, who didn't have a wedding garment on and they cast him out. You cannot go to heaven unless you've got the right kind of garments on. But let me tell you something. The garments are pretty. The garments are a wonderful suit that Jesus wants to give you that declares that you're righteous because of what He did, not what you did. Oh, I wish I could get that out of your head. You who are trying to make it into heaven one of these days by your own righteousness, by your own good works, by your own church attendance or by whatever else, rather than, rather than coming the way of God. Unless God changes you, you won't fit in. And why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, Now we know that the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. The body you're going to need for the promise that Jesus gave for that place you're going to go, He's preparing for you right now. So God's going to recraft your body, not your soul. Your soul is who you are. When you die, your body goes into the grave. Your soul and your spirit go straight to be with Jesus. Now, when the resurrection takes place, now I believe we have some kind of temporary body in heaven because if you read the transfiguration, there stood Moses, there stood Elijah, and they recognized who they were. So I believe we have some kind of body there. But here's the thing. When He comes back, when the trumpet sounds and the, and the dead Christ rise first, that's when we get that new body. People say, I don't understand. You're saying the body's in the grave. Your body goes to the grave, but your soul and the spirit, who you really are, go straight to be with Jesus. And the day comes when He's going to give you that new body, that body that doesn't get sick, that body that can do anything it wants to do. And, and, and what a wonderful thought that really is. So He's going to give you a new house. See, and, and over there, if you'll notice in Corinthians, it says simply that your body, He calls the body you got right now as a tent. But He talks about that when He gives you that new body, it's a building not made with hands. In other words, it's a building, it's a permanent structure, it's permanent that He's going to give to you. So you don't have a body that can live forever. You, can't, you don't have a body that cannot live without pain. You don't have a body that can think of the, think at the scope of the data that you'll be receiving in heaven. Oh, man, you 
In fact, God's going to create in many of us a desire to leave this body. He's going to put a desire inside of us that, Lord, we want you to come and get us. I never will forget Francis Schaeffer, who I read all of his books and, and God is there, Escape from Reason. It pictures this time that we're living in. Four days, he finally he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. I'm, I accomplished what you sent me out to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that you've lived your life in such a way that you've accomplished the things that God wants to do? I've lived my life, and he said, I'm tired. I want to go home. Four days later, the Lord called him home. Called him home. And, and, and so, you know, you don't have that body that's going to live for you. And so, God is going to create in many of us a desire to leave this body. And one of the reasons the Lord allows pain and suffering and destruction is a created body that we've come to a point that we, we don't want to live in it anymore. Now, I remember we had David Ring that came here with us years ago when we were down to other buildings. And David Ring shared he has multiple distances, and yet he preaches all the time and goes to people and shares with them the gospel. I, I think about him and all the pain he's he told, he told me one time that if he goes to put his shirt on, it takes him a half an hour to button his shirt because of that disease. He allows his house to become so uncomfortable that we have to move somewhere else. That's what he wants to do. Oh, I know that you don't want to give up some of your loved ones. And I know it hurts when they passed away and they left. I know that. Oh, but you don't. You don't want them to suffer. You don't want to languish and, and, and live that way. Oh, no. He allows this house to become uncomfortable that we have to move somewhere. But if you know Jesus Christ, you get whatever everybody else planned to get who plans to go somewhere. That is a reservation with a confirmation. You ever make a reservation in place? They give you, well, let me give you your confirmation number. You got a confirmation. When you come to Jesus, you get a confirmation number that's based on a promise. In John 14, Jesus said on his way to the cross to die, he said, them, I'm leaving you now, but I'm giving you my word. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I realized something this today, earlier this week, that on Tuesday morning we do a Bible study in the book of uh, Ezekiel. And I realized that uh, when it tells us in there that the glory of God departed from the temple. And, and you know what? You remember when you remember when Solomon built the temple and the glory of God came in that they couldn't even nobody could even minister in there because it was so intense. Well, when Ezekiel sees the glory of God, he sees it leaving the temple. And guess what? It doesn't come back. The next time it comes back to a Jewish temple will be in the millennium. But now watch this. Where did it leave from? It left from the Mount of Olives. When Jesus got ready to go into the the, in Jerusalem to announce he was, it was, he was the Messiah, the coming King. Where did he leave from? He left from the Mount of Olives. He came down through the Kidron Valley, came into the with this. Now, when he got ready after he was crucified, he spent 40 days, 40 days and nights with his disciples. And when he got ready to leave, where did he leave from? He left from where? The Mount of Olives. And the Bible says as he was going up, there's two angels standing there, and they said to the disciples, here's what they said. He said, you men of Galilee, what stand you gazing up into heaven? He said, for that same Jesus will come. He will come in like manner. Well, when he comes in like manner, where's he coming back from? See, that was the glory of God. They lost the glory of God. They didn't recognize Jesus came into his own. His own received him not. They missed who the Messiah was. 
And so when he came, he left from the, 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 the Mount of the Mount of Olives, but when he comes back again, where's he going to land on? The Mount of Olives. The book of Zechariah says that when he does, he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives. What's going to happen? It's going to cleave. Man, it's just, that mountain is just sitting there. I asked a guide one time when we were over there. I said, I've always heard there's a crack in this mountain from the top to the bottom. I said, is that true? He said, that's absolutely true. Because the owner of Holiday Inns one time wanted to put a motel over there, and he couldn't do it because it was unsafe because of that crack. So Jesus is saying, man, so, so if we get to the place to see heaven right, then earth wouldn't be a big deal to us to think He's coming. I hear, I hear Christian people say to me, I just don't know, Lee, when I want the Lord. I said, boy, I believe the Lord's coming. I just don't know whether I want the Lord to come back or not. My, my grandkids will live. I, I'm going to tell you something. I want the Lord to come. Or my grandkids. You know why? They'll never get sick. They'll never die. They'll never be in trouble. Nobody's going to abuse them. Nobody's ever going to hurt them. Nobody, they're going to enjoy themselves for hell, all, all of heaven. Yeah, I want Him to come. And you say, well, i got a lot of living to do. No, I know you don't. People say, I'm looking for myself. Well, I found myself one time. Guess what I found out? I didn't like who I was. You know, I, I'm telling you, you, you've come to Jesus, and, man, you've got living to do up there. The things that we're going to accomplish, the things we're going to do is going to be unbelievable. Here's the third thing. It's not only a place, it's a fraternal place. Notice what Jesus calls heaven. You know what Jesus calls heaven in John, in John 14, 2? In my Father's house. My Father's house. In my Father's house. Heaven is my Father's house where my daddy lives. You say, how can you call him that? Because Romans 8, 15 says what? It says, it says simply that, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, what? Abba, Abba, Father. What does Abba mean? It means daddy. That's what it means. It's my daddy's house. It's my father's house. I used to go to my father's house when he was living in this world. But I didn't go to the neighbor's house. I went to my father's house. Why do you go there? Because I'm his son, and I was born into his family. And what makes him my father is running up and down my skin is my father's DNA because I possess his DNA, and I get to go to his house. And when I got born again by Jesus Christ, God's DNA was placed inside me. That's what it means. The only folks who don't go to the father's house are those who, have, who don't have the divine DNA. Because you've got to be a child in order for him to be your father. I go to my father's house. And I go because I enjoy the company of my father also. You know, if you don't enjoy his presence down here, what are you going to do when you get up there? If you can't raise your hands, holler glory, hallelujah, praise God and all this down here, what are you going to do when you get up there? That's, the Bible says there's only going to be 30 minutes of silence. All we're going to do, we're going to be hollering glory, 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 praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Have to read it. You read the book of Revelation, don't you? You know? So I go to my father's house, and I go because I enjoy his company. Now, maybe when you were when you went to your father's house, you got beaten down. But in my heavenly father's house, it's a place of rest. A place of rest. A place where you'll not be beaten down. It's a place of rest. Jesus said in my father's house, God is saying, I have specific location where we go home to be with the Lord. We go to the third heaven. 
falls and caught up into the third heaven. It's interesting, First Kings 8.27. Listen to what it says. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and he- uh, the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less the temple which I built? You know what that says? That says heaven can't contain God. You can't put Him in a house. When we go to heaven, let me tell you something. It's basically when we go to heaven, beyond heaven, and heaven can't contain Him. So God's bigger than a house He lives in. And when we go to heaven, uh, this shows you I, I, just how staggering God is that anything you learn about heaven, it's like His condo up there. It's like He's got a beach house on the, uh, someplace else. It's not His main location. He's too big. He's bigger than that because He's bigger than the scope of the place and He's going to describe to us how big it is because He's infinite, He's limitless in His being and in His nature and in His perfection. When I used to see my father, I was going back home because that's where my daddy was. I always look forward to seeing my daddy. And he says, when you leave this place, you're going to the place of rest. You're going to your father's house. And as a paternal place, it's a family location. I think about family. And anymore, every time I close the funeral out, I tell them, there's a place in heaven waiting for this whole family. And this person, especially if they're saved, as I did yesterday, that one of these days, there'll be a place in heaven that have their name on it, and all those families, they don't want anybody to be missing. Is there people in your family that are missing? son or a daughter? Is there, is there somebody that's not ready to go that if you go, they won't be there with you? Well, there's a lot of questions about that. How you're going to feel and all that. But I believe with all my heart when we get to the place that we agree with God, we're going to agree with Him. You're not, you're not going nowhere. You're going somewhere. Uh, and, and somewhere you're going is where your father lives. And thus what you're doing, you're transitioning you're transitioning to see your father. And maybe you don't see your father because he's somewhere else today, your earthly father. He's already, but your father today is already in heaven waiting for you. Precious in the sight of the, de- of the Lord is the death of the saints, the saints. Because the Bible says precious in that way. But when you go to see your father, you'll transition out of here. Fourth and final thing of this time, and I'll do the rest of it next Sunday. Heaven is a populated place. Heaven, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable, notice that word, innumerable company of angels, verse 23, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God who judge all to the spirits of just men made perfect. Think about it. All the Old Testament saints are going to be there. All the questions that you've ever wanted to ask. You can have lunch with Abraham. Go get a Starbucks with Jacob. I don't want any Starbucks with anybody. Amen. Walk in the malls of heaven with Esther, Esther, excuse me, Ruth. Things you don't understand the size of that rock that David killed Goliath with. How, how big was it? Be able to watch the real opening of the Red Sea and actually hear Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. To get mad at Adam. Now, you'll be able to tell Adam's mansion up there because it'll be the only one with barbed wire all around it, you know. And we get him out of there, we're going to kill him. A New Testament, New Testament saints in the church will be there. Paul and Silas and Peter 
and Barnabas and the saints will all be there. I always thought, I always had this dream of, of simply getting in line in heaven and I get, I get in between Paul and Peter or somebody like that. But, you know, I don't have to worry about that because the Bible says we've been accepted in the believers. That's what it says. I got a mother over there, and I got a daddy over there, and I got a brother. And it will be spectacular because you will know them like you have never known them. Because who you knew before, you knew them for the good, and, and you also knew them for all the flaws they had. But you see, in heaven, there's no more sin. So you're going to be able to enjoy their company. But you'll see them in their own glorified bodies. People ask, will we know one another in heaven? Well, sure you're going to know one another in heaven. Why? Because Jesus redeemed you. He didn't redeem you so you'd go to heaven and be somebody that you're not. Because you'll still be you. Whatever race you are, that's the race you'll be in heaven. If you're white, you're going to be white. If you're black, you're going to be black. If you're Chinese, then you'll be Chinese. But you'll be perfectly white and perfectly black or perfectly Chinese. You're going to be who you are. Listen to what Job said he, and, and, and to him and himself, 1927. Whom shall I, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, for my heart yearns within me. Women will be women, and men will be men. And John says in Revelation 5, or Revelation 5 and also Revelation 7 and 9, he says this, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude, listen to it, which no man could number, of all nations, of all tribes, of all peoples, all tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands. Your soul and your spirit used to re- who you really are, but you're going to be given a glorified body to be, it's going to be real to you. This is what First John chapter 3 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, not now. And it not yet been revealed, we haven't seen, because we look to the glass darkly, what we shall be. But know that when He is revealed, when Jesus comes, we shall be like Him, even as He, even as he is. That's what it says. We're going to see Him. Remember the Bible says that nobody's ever looked at God and lived? We're going to be able to look into the face of God. You have a glorified body that is a body that can do physical things as well as spiritual things. When Jesus was resurrected and He came back into that upper room, the door was locked and shut. And He just came on through, came through the wall. That's the kind of body we're going to have. We're going to have an unbelievable body. I'm telling you, you're going to be able to, you're going to have to climb on the clouds. We're going to be able to go places that we've never thought about going go to other planets. I'm telling you, it's going to be unbelievable what's going to happen. And he tells in Thomas, you know, they're in that upper room and Thomas not there the first time. And when he's not there, what do they say? They, they, they go out from there and they say, they tell Thomas, Thomas, you should have been with us. We saw the Lord. What does he say? I won't believe that unless I can put my finger and foot where his and nail prints were and where his sword pierced his side. Seven days later, they're back up there. They're back up there and as they're up there, here's Thomas sitting there, and here comes the Lord, same way. He looks over to Thomas, and he says to Thomas, listen to what he says. But this tells us a whole a great thing about the kind of body he's going to have. He says, uh, he says, Thomas, come and touch me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone. He's telling us the molecular structure that our body's going to have. 
We're going to be able to do all this stuff. We're going to be able to go through life. We're going to be able to fly. We're going to be able to do all this other stuff. That's what heaven is going to be like. It's un- Man has not heard, or I has not heard, or, or seen, seen, or ear heard, or has even entered in the heart of man. But God has in store for those that love Him. So when Jesus rose from the dead in His glorified body, He says He ate with the disciples. We're going to be able to eat and not gain a pound. Amen? Eat all that fried chicken, all that, mm, that, that uh, sweet beans and onions and grilled cornbread and fried chicken. I can see my grandmother. My grandmother, I can see her boy up in heaven. She fixes it because she, she, she pulls that chicken out of that skid or skillet and man, the grease just dripping off of it. Mmm, mmm. Chicken and dumplings and we're going to be able to eat and never gain a pound. But it also says we can pass through walls, step on clouds the way Jesus did go because our glorified bodies will be, be you, but you be like you will never be the same. painted a powerful picture of heaven with these words. He said, uh, he said simply, when I started out as a boy preaching, my father went along with me everywhere I went. Then when I got old enough to go by myself, he'd meet me at the little railroad station in Newton, North Carolina. And I can see him, he said, I can see him even today standing there by that old Ford grocery store. Uh, in that old blue sage suit that hadn't been pressed since the day he bought it. And when I'd go up to him, the first thing he'd ask me would be, how'd you get along? How'd you get along? He says, it's been a long time. One of these days when my train rounds into Grand Central Station in glory, I think he'll be there. Not in that old blue serge suit, but in the robes of glory. I wouldn't be surprised if the first thing he'd say would be, how'd you get along? How'd you get along? I think I'll say, pretty well, and I owe a lot to you for it. Then I think I'd say, you remember back in the country when I was a little boy? No matter where I was, in the afternoon, I was supposed to go back by Sunday. It's been a long trip, Dad. Robert Lowry, who was 38, ministered in New York City during the terrible period of, like our time, 1864, when the plague was sweeping away multitudes of citizens. When he wasn't visiting sick members of the Hampton Place Baptist Church, he was conducting funerals. One hot July day, Lowry himself was near collapse, exhausted, mysterious, reaching for a scrap of paper. He began composing a poem. Then at his organ, he composed the music for it. Spoke of his hope to meet his suffering and dying submission to Corinthians in heaven down by the river of life. How many times have we sung this song? Shall we gather at the river where bright angels feet have gone with his crystal tide forever flowing by the throne of God? Yes, we'll gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river, gather with the saints of the river that flows by the 